Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. Queen of England, you guys see the news? Celebrated her platinum jubilee last week. Here she is, Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor has now reigned 70 years as monarch over Great Britain, third longest reign in world history. Celebration lasted four days, it concluded last Sunday. Included the Queen's 96th birthday parade, that is a lot of people. 41 gun salutes, 70 aircraft flyby, 1,500 jubilee beacons or torches lit all across England. Special church service given in her honor at St. Paul's Cathedral. Special horse race in her honor at Epsom Downs. And then 22,000 people attended a platinum party at the palace. Did you get your ticket? Yeah, me neither. Last day of the celebration, last day of the celebration, about 10 million people took part in lunches that were hosted in people's houses all over the nation. And the last day of the celebration concluded with this Platinum Jubilee pageant parade. Tens of thousands of people, two-mile stretch of road, lined it as the Gold State carriage made its way to Buckingham Palace. The same carriage she used at her coronation, same carriage that is 260 days, 60 years old. By the way, that's not her in the carriage. They used a hologram. <laughs> It went to Buckingham Palace, the trumpets blared and sounded, the queen came out on the balcony, the crowd cheered wildly, waved their, their flags, and they sang, God save the queen. They went all out to honor her majesty, didn't they? I want to encourage you to go all out. You know what I want to encourage you to do? I want to encourage you today to join the crowds, to cheer and to shout and to sing and to wave in excitement. I want to encourage you to go all out and honor his majesty. To go all out, not for a monarch, but the Messiah. To go all out, not for a queen, but for the king of kings and lord of lords. Today I want to invite you to join the crowd. I want to invite you actually to follow the crowd, which isn't usually highly recommended. But today it is, because that's what we see in the book of John chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 12 as we make our way through this precious book of belief. We're going to see crowds, and John mentions crowds four different times in this passage. He wants us to get this. He's teaching us something. Now understand what's been going on up till this time. Jesus is right outside of Jerusalem. He's in a little town, probably 100 to 300 people in those days, the villages. He's in a little town right outside of Jerusalem known as Bethany. This is where he's raised Lazarus from the dead. A dinner has been given in his honor at Simon the leper's home. Lazarus is conversing at the table with Jesus. Mary is pouring out her love, pouring out her worship, costly perfume. Martha is serving and Mary is wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And word gets out and the crowds gather. And the crowd continues to gather. And more and more people come. And we pick it up where we left off. John chapter 12, starting in verse 9, read along with me. Verse 9 of John chapter 12. Then a large crowd of the Jews learned he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. The chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also. 
Because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. Today we follow the crowd. We follow the crowd that believes in Jesus. That's the crowd you and I need to follow, amen? The crowd that believes in Jesus. And you got to laugh at this point because the crowd is completely ignoring the religious leaders who put out this order, the last verse in John chapter 11. They had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, Jesus was, he should report it to them so that they could arrest him. And the entire crowd is like, nah, we're going to spend time with Jesus. The crowd continues to grow. Word is spreading like a wildfire in high winds that just can't be contained. Jesus is in Bethany. Let's go see Jesus. Jesus is back. Let's go see Jesus. Why would they want to see Jesus? Well, he's a master teacher. No one ever taught like Jesus taught. Paul would tell the Colossian church that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To sit at Jesus' feet like was like nothing else. Depth of incredible wisdom and knowledge and teaching with power and authority. They wanted to see the master teacher. They wanted to see the mercy giver. Unparalleled compassion and kindness and gentleness. He's the one that would touch lepers. He's the one that forgives adulterers. He's the one that takes children, babies in his arms, and prays over them and blesses them. Let's go see the mercy giver. Let's go see the miracle worker. He's the one that turns water into wine and heals the sick and can calm a storm with three little words, hush, be still. He casts out demons, he walks on water, and he raises the dead. Last time he was in Bethany, he walked into a cemetery, wept for his friend Lazarus, and called him forth from the grave four days after he has died. Word is spreading, the crowd is growing, the Messiah is here. People are talking, people are sharing, people are excited. Get excited about Jesus, people. Get excited about the Savior and join the crowd. Get excited about the teaching of the Lord and wanting to hear from God. God, speak to me this morning. What do you have for me to learn? Get excited about his word. Get excited about his mercy. The love that he has shown you, the forgiveness that he has granted you. Do not forget what he has done for you. Get excited about the work of God in saving lives and changing lives. Jesus is our only hope. Get excited about your hope. This world is without hope. Just look around you. This world is desperate for the teaching of Jesus. This world is desperate for the mercy of Jesus. This world is desperate for the miracle of Jesus in transforming lives. Get excited about Jesus and give Jesus to this world. They're coming to see Jesus. They're also coming to see Lazarus, it says in verse 9. The one he had raised from the dead. It's like, bonus time! It's not every day you get to shake the hand of the walking dead who's been raised to life and hear his story and ask him, what did he do for four days in the grave? And get his autograph and take a selfie and hashtag dead dude, Lazarus lives. I, I mean, Lazarus is a walking miracle. He's not the only walking miracle. Please understand, if you have been saved by Jesus Christ, you are a walking miracle child of God. He's called you out of the grave. You were dead in your sins. You were lost and hopeless in your sins. You are a walking miracle if you have been saved by Jesus Christ. 
Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you what? Alive with him. And forgave us, how many? Say it. All your trespasses. You can't even number the amount of times you have sinned in attitude and action. You can't even number the amount of times you have sinned in, in the course of your life. And Jesus has wiped all your sins clean. You're a walking miracle. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7 goes on and extends it. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world. You were, you were lost like this crazy world. Previously. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working and the disobedient. That's who's at work in this world. We too all previously lived among them. In our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. Every impulse, every lust, everything we wanted, the selfishness, the pride. You were by nature children of wrath as the others were also. Verse 4, two words, but God. Say those two words with me, but God. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he had for us made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. He raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You have been gloriously saved, child of God, and you have been given a glorious future, child of God. Be excited about that. I walked into a home Thursday night. And I walked over to a bed of a sweet old lady in our church who was on hospice. Her name is Anita McKenzie. And when I walked into that home, and her bed is right in the living room, right in the front room, she looked over, and the glow of the glory of God was on her. She is ready to go home. And we took hands and we prayed and we talked and we talked about Luke 16 with the angelic escort. She is so ready to see her Savior. She is ready. She's been gloriously saved and she has been given a glorious future and she is ready for it. Are you ready, child of God? Do you understand what God has done for you? Do you understand what God has given you not only here and now but in the future? You've been transformed, raised to life. And you have been transferred, raised up to heaven. Never forget what he has done for you and never forget what he can do for you. Because some of you have not been saved. Some of you have not been raised from the dead yet. Some of you are still walking in your sin and your shame and your guilt. Some of you are still in the grave. And Jesus is calling you forth today. He's calling you forth to forgiveness He's calling you away from your sins. He's calling you to new life in him. Come out of the grave and call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. The crowd, they're, they're ignoring the religious leaders and the crowd is gathering to see Jesus and gathering to see Lazarus. And the crowd, well, the religious leaders, they're losing the crowd. Look at verse 10. And they're not happy about it. Chief priests have decided to kill Lazarus. Now, isn't that almost comical? They're, he's just been raised from the dead and they want to kill him. Like, if God wants him to live, he's going to live no matter what you want to do to him. And the Sadducees are especially miffed and upset at this because the Sadducees are a group of religious leaders who don't believe in the resurrection. 
And so Lazarus is proof that their doctrine is an error. But it's also entirely tragic. Because the top religious leaders in the nation have a hit list. Imagine. And they're putting contracts out on people. And they've decided to kill Lazarus. Why? Because people are leaving an empty, dead, shallow, man-made religion. That's why. Leave man-made, dead religions and come to the living Savior. And that's what these people are doing. It says because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. Lazarus was the reason. Changed lives are a powerful testimony for the cause of Jesus Christ. Be the reason people turn to Jesus Christ, Christian, not turn away from Christ. Be the reason people come to faith in Jesus. Be the reason people want to follow Jesus. Be the reason. I'm friends on Facebook with a guy who lives in Chicago. His name is Juan Riasco. Here's a picture of him. Owns a Cuban restaurant downtown Chicago. I asked his permission uh, if I could share this with you. He's there with his wife and two daughters. They're expecting a third, by the way. He was gay. He was a thief. He was addicted to pornography. He was addicted to drugs. And God has saved him. He is a child of God. He is clean. He is straight. He has a family. And he's also a street preacher. He goes out and he just shares his testimony with people so that they might come to faith in Jesus Christ. Change lives are a powerful testimony it is hard to argue when the dead come to life. It's hard to argue when drunks get sober and drug addicts get clean and homosexuals live pure and, and thieves are generous and liars start telling the truth. It is hard to argue when the dead are raised to life. See, I want you to understand something. We don't celebrate sin. We don't celebrate any sin. Sin destroys lives. We don't celebrate lying. We don't celebrate drunkenness. We don't celebrate homosexuality. We don't celebrate drug addiction. We don't celebrate stealing. We don't celebrate adultery. We don't celebrate sin. We celebrate freedom from sin. We celebrate forgiveness of sin. That's what we celebrate as God's people. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate the work of Jesus Christ in breaking people from bondage and sin and death. And I want you to understand something. Jesus can give you freedom from sin. And Jesus can give you forgiveness of sin. Turn to Jesus. And I mean any sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. None of those people go to heaven. Here's the good news. And some of you used to be like this. See, God changes people. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Amen. He can wash you from any sin, every sin. It doesn't matter how bad your sin. Let him save you. Leave the old, leave the old ways, leave the old sin, leave the old empty dead religion and believe on Jesus. And the word believe here, they were believing in Jesus. Understand this, means a deep, 
genuine faith. It is the same construction John uses throughout the book of John, which is the gospel of belief. These people were coming to genuine faith in salvation in Jesus. So follow the crowd. Follow the crowd that believes in Jesus. Secondly, follow the crowd that worships Jesus. This is the crowd you and I need to follow. Now the next day, Jesus is going to head into Jerusalem. And this part of the passage is known as the triumphal entry, usually preached the Sunday before Easter. Jesus still smells of that costly perfume that Mary has poured all over his head, 12 to 16 ounces worth, all down his robe, all down his clothing, onto his feet. And he makes his way in to Jerusalem. We, we pick it up in verse 12 of John chapter 12. The next day when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. So you have this rowdy bunch of Jesus fans following and waving and shouting, and it's a large crowd. There's already a lot of people in Jerusalem because of the Passover, and we need to understand no one could draw a crowd like Jesus can draw a crowd. No one then and no one today. Queen Elizabeth cannot draw a crowd like Jesus draws a crowd today. No president can draw a crowd like Jesus draws a crowd today. No musician or celebrity or team or player can draw a crowd like Jesus draws a crowd today. You, can, you and I can't even begin to estimate how many people, countless millions if not billions around the world, are worshiping Jesus today. Gathering in Jesus' name, singing Jesus' name. We sung it 24 times in the songs we sang this morning. And praying in his name. The, the number is unfathomable. Nobody draws a crowd like Jesus draws a crowd. In America alone, 22% of the population attends church. That's 73 million people will attend church today, thereabouts. Let's just say we cut it in half and say 36.5 million of those people are true believers. That's a lot of people. Nobody draws a crowd like Jesus draws a crowd. In the world, 2.4 billion claim to be Christians. Let's just cut it in half and say 1.2 billion people are true followers of Christ. No one draws a crowd like Jesus draws a crowd. No one. Christian, don't you ever feel alone again. Don't you ever feel alone again. Oh, and by the way, some of you, some of you don't like big church. Well, that church is too big. That church is too big. Um, I just want to remind you of a little passage in Revelation chapter 7. I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation. This is in heaven. Tribe, people, nation, tribe, people, language, which no one could what? No one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Please understand, if you don't like big church, you're not going to like big heaven. <laughs> you don't like big church, you don't like a big gathering of God's people, you're, you're not going to like heaven. So my, my thought is, do, you best not complain about big church. 
Because my guess is you're not going to get to heaven and say, God, there's just too many people here. No. Why don't we just stop complaining about big church and praise God for big church. Praise God for the number of people he is bringing into our church. Praise God for the gathering of his people. And by the way, obviously God loves big crowds. He loves big crowds that gather in his name. And let me just speak to you online. It's time you come back to big crowd. It's time. Come on back. This is a large crowd. This is a celebratory crowd. It says they're gathering here for the festival, the feast. What is that? Well, this is Passover. They're celebrating God's miraculous deliverance from Egyptian slavery. The blood of the lamb that was applied to the doorframe of their homes and the death angel passing over, sparing their firstborn. And the Hebrews who believed on it applied the blood and were saved from death. I want you to understand who is standing in their midst. The Passover lamb. And it's his precious blood that will be spilled. And belief in him, faith in him will save from eternal death. Please apply the blood of the lamb to your own soul. Please believe on Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We're told, Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name given, name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You need to understand the Passover was a celebration from bondage. Jesus is the bondage breaker. The Passover was a celebration of freedom. Jesus is the one who gives freedom from sin. Come to know Jesus and your bondage to sin will be broken and you will have freedom from sin. Large crowd, celebratory crowd, and it's exciting crowd. They hear Jesus is coming and what do they do? They go out with branches, not British flags. They're going out with branches. You may say, well, why did they go out with these palm branches? What did that mean? It was a symbol of nationalistic hope. See, the Jews waved palm branches at the rededication of the temple in 164 B.C. They waved palm branches when they gained their full independence in, in 141 B.C. They even had palm branches minted on their coins, making a statement to Rome. It was a symbol of nationalistic hope. It was a symbol of victory. This is how they saluted their conquering king with palm branches. This is how they, they pledged support to their liberator with palm branches. This was their expectation of Jesus. The Messiah would bring victory over the Romans. They failed to realize, important, Jesus' fight wasn't with Rome. Jesus' fight was with sin. His fight wasn't for freedom from oppression. His fight was for freedom from transgression. My transgressions, your transgressions. He rides in as a conquering king to set you free. He rode into Jerusalem that day as a conquering king to conquer your sin and my sin and to set us free by dying on that cross. It was also a very loud crowd. Look at verse 13. They kept shouting, long live the queen. No. They kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. There's no holding back their praise. There's no shame in naming his name. Don't hold back his praise, child of God. And what were they shouting? They're shouting scripture. They're shouting Psalm 118.25, part of the Hallel. It would be sung every morning at the temple during some of the feasts. They're shouting Hosanna, which means save now, save we pray. They're shouting blessed is he. Jesus, you're the blessed one. Divine calling of God is on your life. The favor of God rests on you. 
They're shouting, he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, you've come as an envoy, a representative of God. You've come. You've come as God's messenger, God's servant. You've come as Savior. They're shouting, Jesus is king, the king of Israel. He's the rightful king. The the bloodline, the royal bloodline of David runs through his veins. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. And by the way, The tense of the verb is, they kept shouting. They continued to shout. They didn't stop shouting. They were just shouting and shouting and shouting and shouting and shouting. This is an excited crowd, a large crowd, a rowdy bunch of Jesus fans. And prophecy is being fulfilled before their eyes. We're told in verse 14 that he found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. I want you to be forever confident in the divine word of God. You have the word of the living God. I want you to be confident in the divine son of God. Why? Why both of these? Because Jesus fulfills upwards of 400 prophecies in scripture. And he fulfills 32 different prophecies just during Passion Week, the week of trials and suffering of our Lord. Do you understand hundreds and thousands of years beforehand those prophecies were made and he fulfills 400 to a T. He fulfills 32 different ones to a T perfectly. There's no chance at that. You have the divine word of the living God. Read it and believe it. You have the divine son of God from heaven, your savior. Believe in him and walk with him. And he fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You may say, why not this wonderful, majestic stallion? Why a donkey? Because it speaks of peace and gentleness. That's why it's a display of humility and meekness. Jesus didn't come to make war with Rome. He came to bring peace between you and your God because that's what you needed and that's what I needed. God is thrice holy, 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 holy. You and I are depraved and wicked and sinful to the core. Our depravity runs deep and there is no chance that we could ever have peace with our God who is holy, holy, holy. And so God himself becomes a man and he dies for you so that you can finally be free from sin and that you can finally have peace with your creator, God. Jesus is our mediator, 1 Timothy. There's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. That's how you have peace because he gave himself for you and died for you. A testimony at the proper time. As Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. Through our good works. No. Through baptism. Through church membership. Through giving money. Through, no, through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You would have no peace with God and you can have no peace with God if you're trying to gain it on your own. 
There's no good work you can do. You will never be good enough to have peace with God. And if you're here today online or in person and you think you're going to heaven because you're a good person, you're not going to heaven because only Jesus can get you there. He is the only mediator. He is God in the flesh, perfect sacrifice for your sins and mine. Call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved and you will have peace with God. And I love part of this message in verse 15 says this, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. See, God's people needed to hear that back then. He says, daughter of Zion, which is this poetic description for the people of Jerusalem back then. Soothing words to these oppressed people. He says, do not be afraid. And, and Israel was in constant fear of foreign powers. Hasn't changed much in Israel. They still live in fear, surrounded by their enemies. God's people needed not fear then. Do not be afraid. God's people need not fear today either. What are you afraid of? Who are you afraid of? There's no need to fear anything. There's no need to fear anyone. Our God reigns. He is in control. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is sovereign over everything and everyone at every moment, including your life and mine. And he wants to ride into your life and he wants to say, do not be afraid. I am the king and I am in control. By the way, here's some help for you and me. Don't be afraid. Hold on to his promises. Hebrews 13, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Hold on to his peace. Jesus in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. Hold on to his presence. Matthew 28. And remember, I am with you how often? Always to the end of the age. Psalm 23, verse four would tell us, even though I walk through the valley of the shout of death, I fear no evil, you are with me. So hold on to his promises and hold on to his peace and hold on to his presence, hold on to his purpose. Romans chapter eight, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God has a plan, God has allowed it for a reason, it's gonna be okay. And hold on to all these things with confidence. Read with me Psalm 27, just the first three verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. So hold on. Hold on, child of God, to his promises and his peace and his presence and his purpose and hold on to all these things with confidence. And hold on because he's coming back. Hold on because he's coming back. His coming is mentioned twice in this passage in John 12, 13, and 15. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and look, your king is coming and you just need to understand, he came one time, he's coming again. He's coming back to rule and reign. Acts chapter one, this same Jesus 
who's been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. He's coming back in the clouds. He's coming back. 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. Titus 2, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep waiting on the Lord's return. And by the way, when he returns, he's not going to be riding a gentle donkey. He's going to be mounted on a war horse. Revelation 19, then I saw heaven opened. There was a white horse, its rider called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. The nations of this world do not know what's coming. Sharp sword came out of his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepresses, the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. Say it with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. In the last words of Revelation 22, he who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. Look at this world around us and we can say it too. Amen, come Lord Jesus. It's only a matter of time, friends. It's only a matter of time. Now, even those closest to him didn't recognize all that was happening. Look at verse 16. The disciples did not understand these things at first, And you and I struggle at times as well. Just because you're close to God doesn't mean you always understand the plans of God. Amen? It's like preschool children trying to grasp math. Try to teach a little kid math, a little preschool kid. It's it's pretty tough. Do you know what? Sometimes and oftentimes, I'm like a spiritual preschool child. I I don't understand God's math. I struggle with understanding subtraction in this life. And so do you. God, why did you allow that to be taken away? God, why did I lose that friend? Why did I lose that job? Why did I lose that loved one? Sometimes I I struggle with the math in this life, the subtraction. And so do you. Sometimes we struggle with the addition in this life. God, why this added burden? Why this added disease? Why this added sorrow? Why these added trials and hardships? Sometimes you and I, we we struggle like spiritual preschool children. We don't understand God's math. And that's when we just need to trust the equations of life over to God. Even when things don't add up. Even when things look like the wrong answer. And they're not. So what do we do at that time? That's when we turn to verses like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And we trust in the Lord with what? All our heart. And we lean not on our what? Our own understanding. We're not going to figure this out on our own. So in all our ways, we know him or we acknowledge him and we let him direct our paths or make our paths straight. Eventually, their eyes will be open, the disciples. We read, however, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and they did these things to him. And I want you to notice two things that open the eyes of the disciples. The glory of God and the word of God. Two things will open our eyes to the truth of God. The glory of God and the word of God. The glory of God. Some things are hard to understand this side of heaven. Not until we're in his presence and we see his glory will we understand the whys and the whats and the hows, some of those things. And the word of God. The word of God sheds light on life and living. Read your 
Bibles. Study the scriptures. Every single day, reach for the scriptures before you reach for your phone, please. Let God speak to you before this world yells at you with everything else. Reach for your Bibles. Let God shed light on this life because this world certainly isn't going to do it. Follow the crowd that believes in Jesus. Follow the crowd that worships Jesus. And finally, follow the crowd that testifies of Jesus. This is the crowd you and I need to follow. Look at verse 17 through 19. 17 through 19, the last part. Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. This is also why the crowd met him, two crowds, because they heard that he had done this sign. Then the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. I want you to notice they're speaking up and they're speaking out and they're testifying. You know what? You can't silence true fans. We got any true Cubs fans here? Let me hear you. Oh, hey, there's, there's, boy, that's, that's pretty miserable. Do we have any true Cubs fans here? All right, we got some. I mean, true Cubs fans remember when a 108-year and 19-day drought ended. Do they not? And they remember Wednesday, November 2nd, 2016, game seven, 10 innings. The final score was what, true Cubs fans? 8-7. We got true Cubs fans over here. When the Cubs won the World Series, true fans, they don't stop talking about their team. They don't stop bragging on their star player. They, they celebrate champion. Listen, be a true fan and follower of Jesus Christ. Don't you stop talking about what he's done for you. Don't you stop celebrating who he is for you. Man, 17 years old, August 29th, 1985, God changed me and saved me. I was on my knees in my bedroom in New Jersey. And I called out to God and I said, God, I don't know why you want to save me. I'm just so glad you want to save me. Will you save me from my sins? And he saved me and changed me. Celebrate who God is to you and what God has done for you. He's powerful. He's merciful. He's forgiving. Now understand, not all true fans are true fans. Not all fans are true fans. Not all followers are true followers. Some just get on the bandwagon for a little bit. Make sure that's not you. Make sure you've truly called on the name of the Lord to be saved. You have this convergence of two crowds, verse 17 and verse 18. There's this first crowd, a river of people following out of Bethany, following Jesus to Jerusalem. You have a second crowd, a river of people gathered for Passover, flowing out of Jerusalem, searching for Jesus. These two rivers of people converge together and become one big sea of people. And the religious leaders can't stand it. Look at verse 19. Look, you see the world, you've accomplished nothing. The world has gone after him. The religious leaders are religious losers because they're not true fans of Jesus. If you are not a true fan of Jesus, you will always end up a loser in this life. There's complete frustration in life when you're not a true fan or follower of Jesus. Their offense can't score against Jesus. Their defense can't, can't hold Jesus. And they just keep losing. They're losing followers. They're losing influence. They're losing power. They're losing money. They're losing respect in the eyes of people. And sadly, there will always be losers in this life when it comes to Jesus there will always be those who reject the work of God and the word of God. 
there will always be those who refuse to believe it's a work of God. There will always be those who are jealous of others who are doing the work of God. There will always be those who slander those doing the work of God. There will always be those who try to stifle the work of God. Listen, anytime you try to fight God, you lose. You lose when you fight God, always. And that's why some of you are losing today. And some of you are Christians. And you haven't figured it out yet. You think you can do whatever you darn want and go against God's word and you're gonna be okay. You lose every time. You can't break the word of God. You break yourself over the word of God. It's time you get on the winning team. It's time you start following Jesus. That's why your marriage is losing. That's why you're losing in your business. That's why you're losing in this life. Because you've decided to fight God. You will always lose when you fight God. Proverbs 21.30 No wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel will prevail against the Lord. Nothing will prevail against the Lord. No one will prevail against the Lord. You're either with him and you win or you're against him and you lose. Swallow your pride. James 4, therefore he says, God resists, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you want God opposed to you or do you want God's grace in your life? Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, purify your heart, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. We end with this. If you want to win in this life, this is what you need to do. You submit to God. You draw near to God, meaning repent of any sin and you humble yourself before God. And that's how you win in this life. We follow the crowd. Follow the crowd that believes in Jesus. Follow the crowd that worships Jesus and follow the crowd that testifies of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning, or would like more information about Harvest's new beginnings, visit at harvest.church.